Well, hello and welcome to the Solutions Brewing Podcast. I'm Brendan and I'm joined again by... Uh, with... Let's do a second take on that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, someone's a little rusty. Oh, I guess that's what Lord. happens when you miss a couple weeks. <laughs> I know, a little out of practice. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Solutions Brewing Podcast. I'm Brendan, and I'm joined, as always, by Stephen Sock and Robert Kalchuk. And today we're going to be talking about the craft beer scene in Calgary and how it kind of has evolved over the last 10 years uh, with some changes in legislation, the explosion of craft breweries, and hopefully our own physical location someday soon. Stay tuned. I I don't know which one of you guys wants to kind of take this first. I know you guys know the legislation a little bit better than I do, and particularly the changes that happened in and around 2012. I'll take first stab. I'll uh, I'll talk about this beer scene beforehand, and then I'll throw it over to Rob because Rob definitely has the legislation changes down. Oh wow, no pressure there, none yeah. at all. <laughs> and I'm getting off scot free. I just get to ask questions. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So yeah, so drinking in Alberta used to be basically two different styles. There was the local loggers, so you're Molson Canadians, your Coconese, uh, your Coors Light, and all that kind of stuff. And basically, there was imports, and imports were weird. Like I remember going to the liquor store and just being like, "Yeah, there's like your basic selection of loggers, variety of loggers. The best of the which was Alexander Keith's India Pale Ale, which was basically a lager as well. Yeah, and then there was the weird beers that no one or very few people ever drank." Uh, so like your Erdingers or your Holsteins or uh, your Heinekens. And basically, whenever you went to a party or you went over to someone to have a beer or drink, like you just had kokanee was about it. And I, I remember for me, like I, I was on the other side of the country when I first had my non-lager beer, when I had uh, an Erdinger Dunkel, when I first had that and was like oh my god beer can be so much more than just light lager or whatever it is and in especially alberta uh the legislation at the time was there was a minimum production value had to hit and rob you you might know this but i think it was about five hundred thousand hectoliters two thousand five hundred hectoliters was minimum capacity okay so yeah and like at the time the startup cost to basically start a brewery in Alberta was just so large that there was one prominent one and I think one to two smaller ones. I'd have to go check at the foundation dates. But the only other beer that you could get that had some variety or flavor was Big Rock Brewing. So they, again, had like their light beers. They had their grasshopper and that. But they had as well their traditional ale, their warthog ale, like a bunch of other ones that if you're willing to try something different like there is definitely some taste to be found there and most of the bars in calgary at least were trying to support local or whatever so they at least have one or two taps of of big rock but like that was pretty much it like there was nothing else at the time like alley cat hadn't been found yet i'm pretty sure tool shed wasn't around uh yeah like none of those guys yeah i was looking wild rose kind of opened up in 1996 they opened so they were around but they weren't big by any means they were kind of few and far between yeah so so at the time like you could you you know you basically everyone drank kokanee or everyone drank budweiser or something like that or labatt 
there was very limited selection. Occasionally, there'd be some weird import beers from like the US or from Europe, but no one ever bought those because you didn't know what they were. You didn't know if you'd like them or anything like that. And they were expensive. Yeah, that was the other thing. They were very expensive compared to domestic beers. Definitely nowhere near where it is today, but there were still a couple places where you could go get some weird beers. Like I remember we did the around the world in 80 beers thing, and those were all weird import bottles, and it was... None of it was locally produced, but if you wanted to try some weird stuff, that was the place to go. Yeah, you're right. So that location was Bottle Screw Bills. And yeah, like we did that passport back in, oh, that must have been like 20, 2009, 2010. Mm, somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, which was a lot of, <laughs> that's a lot of money to spend at a bar for import beer. And then you're right, like on the Bottle Screw Bills, like they brought in some weird stuff. Like, I remember having a scotch ale that they imported from Scotland, and it was god-awful. Well, you know, those that kind of stuff is... It's fun to try different beers like that, though, but, I mean, it's always a gamble if you, if you don't know what, what it is, and you've never heard of it, and you can't look it up, and you're just like, yeah, you just drink it, find out. <laughs> I hope it goes well. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, uh, it doesn't kill you, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, there's a little bit of exposure that way, but, like, domestic production, there was basically nothing and then the world changed and then the world changed yeah well that was i mean alberta was behind on that i think there was i think other provinces were more open actually yeah no this brings up a good point because back in my young man days i went to school in toronto and toronto had a significantly bigger craft scene um Again, it's developed quite a bit since uh, in the last several years, and I don't know if that's just a change in kind of cultural approach to beer across the country or if they had a change in their regulations as well. But they had, like, Steam Whistle started up there, um, and as well as a number of other ones that I'm going to get wrong if I try to name them. But as a university kid going there, you weren't interested in Steam Whistle or any of the higher-priced craft beers. You were interested in what was the cheapest beer I could get, and it was the locally made... <laughs> uh lakeport lagers lakeport honey lakeport red and i think i mentioned this this beer on a, a previous episode but the joke was they all came out of the same trough but it was it was locally made craft beer that was sold for a dollar a can and there was a dozen or so different options there so to have that many different options for cheap and relatively good beer we didn't have that in alberta at the time yeah and like similar to follow up to that like halifax had a few breweries there was garrison uh, brewery and i want to say propeller and a few of the bars were actually uh set up in such a way that they had their own brew houses which is very interesting and so like you could have some beers there but similar to brendan it's like yeah you didn't spend money on those because you're poor student you got the cheapest or sometimes the most cost-effective beer which i remember one night at uh a trivia night uh that was the first time i had a, a russian imperial stout because they were selling pints of that at the same price of any of their other pints. And it was a 13% beer. <laughs> I had oh, four that night. Do you remember them? No, I don't remember the fourth one. <laughs> and I do remember walking down uh, Spring Garden Road back to my apartment with a few other buddies. And man, we were swerving left and right. Holy oh, man. Geez. Yeah, you only had four bottles of wine that night. So. Yeah, only four <laughs> bottles. <laughs> yeah. Well, we played trivia for, I think it was like five hours. Like we started at seven o'clock and it went to midnight or something like that. And oh man, the, like never been drunk or never been sick or sort of thing. 
but yeah, like other provinces had their stuff together, you know, like allowing people to kind of do stuff and experiment. But Alberta was just so rigidly locked into like rules and regs that came out of the 70s and 80s. I think a lot, like a lot of that went, goes back to, you know, like old school monopolies, right? Where if you're big enough, you get a hand in, in saying what the policy is. I mean, really prior to these changes happening in 2012 or 2013, you know, you have all those big international breweries who dominated the market here and they were able to say whatever they wanted to say and people believe them. So, you know, that's just... Well, they had that influence because, uh, was it Edmonton had the big... Labatt. The big Labatt or the they big have Molson. Yeah, they have a Labatt brewery there. And Calgary used to have a Molson brewery. That's right. Way, yeah. way back in the day. So now you've got a major, major, major company with production in the province and jobs in the province that obviously they can sell this sob story. Oh, this will destroy our profitability and you're going to lose a thousand jobs or something like that. You probably sell it as co- as losing jobs. That's what it yeah. probably come down to. <laughs> but yeah. So, but anyways, what, whatever the circumstance happened, obviously there must have been enough public outcry or something to warrant a change because... It changed. And you know what? I think we, we probably have way more jobs than we're lost at those breweries. So, <laughs> But let's let's talk a little bit about what the change was. Like we mentioned previously that you needed 2,500 to 25,000 hectoliters. 2,500 hectoliters. 2,500 hectoliters, which if I've done my math right, is something like 75,000 cans of beer. Minimum production. Just no, to have a so you didn't have to have, you didn't have to produce that much, but you had to have the capacity to do it. Capacity for yeah, that was the weird part. So you could have these, you could you could have the capacity to make it, but you didn't have to make that much. So you had to so. have the equipment capable of producing seventy five thousand cans of beer per year. Yeah, per year. And for comparison, for our listeners, how much did we produce in our initial production run? Uh, sixty three hectoliters. Yeah. So a hell of a lot of beer. So what was the change that came through in 2012, just for the people who don't have the details, like me? Well, the change was the removal of the production minimums. So you didn't have to have a brewery capable of producing 2,500 hectoliters. You could have a brewery that only produces 100 hectoliters. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And that that was like basically the big start because... Like before, you're like to get that 2,500 hectoliters to get the space and the equipment and all that. That was a you know six mid six figure to upper or like seven figure investment. You're looking at a couple million dollar investment. Yeah. Yeah, and like there was like basically no way to do that without someone who had enough money or enough people who had enough money. And at the time, like granted, Calgary's a fairly was at the time a fairly rich city. But yeah, like that was a huge venture to dive in and see what see what was going on there. Yeah, and you know what? I think it opened up a lot too for tap rooms, right? Because if you're investing a couple million dollars and you need to be able to produce 2,500 hectoliters, you're focused on production. Trying to find a space to hold all that equipment, I mean, your your rent and stuff alone is going to be huge. And people probably weren't... Actually, I don't think you were allowed to... There was no such thing as tap rooms back then. No, those didn't exist. So, I mean, that that's also a fairly new thing that helps a lot too, right? Because now you can actually have a brewery that's capable of doing one hectoliter batches at a time. And, uh, yeah, you can just have a tap room sell everything in, in-house. Like, you don't even have to 
cannon. You can put everything in kegs. Yeah, it really opened up the possibility for, for brew pubs for just little, small little tasting rooms for all these little wonderful joints that are just popping up all over the city, all over the province. Yeah, it created a lot of flexibility, that's for sure. Yeah. And then it was it was, it was kind of cool with that, with that uh, restriction coming down because then you got a lot more variety and... You know, that's a lot of what got us into brewing too, right? Just the, the ability to do different things, try different things, and do it our way. Absolutely. Play around with it a little bit. And I guess the other thing that came with this is when, now that you had the absence of production minimums and the easier ability to do the tap room, tasting room, you could afford to get a place that had a smaller footprint, but in a higher foot traffic area of the city. So you have these places popping up in areas where there's a lot of foot traffic, a lot of just people around. So that you can develop something like the Barley Belt, where you get all these places nearby and people can do little pub walks and taproom walks, basically. Mm-hmm. Try a bunch of different beers on the same night or take a bike ride and go have a pint of something new. Yeah, because like, after the restrictions were kind of lifted, that's when, again, the explosion kind of started. What would you say the first prominent brewery in Calgary was after it? Because I, I would say Tool Shed probably the first one yeah the ones that got more popular were definitely i'd say Toolshed, wild rose i mean big rock has been around since i think 1983 yeah but i'm, I'm thinking more smaller like because like big rock wild rose and then i think village started soon after but they uh they got some old equipment from big rock village actually might have started i think just before yeah they were right before the change or something they're like 2011 or something like that yeah because like i'm pretty sure they had a bunch of investors who because I, I remember the equipment coming up for sale because Big Rock was changing out some of their tanks and some of their brew systems. And they were selling it for, again, used equipment for cheap. And I think they snapped it up and that's how they started. Right. But I'm thinking smaller. Like I'm thinking like after the change, you're like, oh, yeah, there's this new brewery. Let's go see it. Like I, cause I'm thinking either Toolshed or Dandy. Wow, Dandy might have started early, uh, a while ago, but they were tiny, tiny, tiny. Like, Last Best was one that kind of rose to prominence fairly quickly. Yeah, I didn't know them as Last Best. I was living in Fort McMurray at the time, so for me, it was Wood Buffalo Bruco. It's the same group of people. Um, that brewery, unfortunately, doesn't exist anymore in, in Fort Mac. But, but you're not in Fort Mac anymore, so that's fine. No, I'm not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Last Best comes to mind. When did Cold Garden open? They were. Oh, yeah. They would have been 14, 15. Cold Garden is one of the first ones that I can recall of. I don't know when they opened. I'm just looking it up right now. <laughs> I was going to say, we, we could have we researched this show beforehand if we if we did something more scripted. But nah, Yeah, the beauty of our show is that we never do a script. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for listeners, uh, we, we typically do our recordings on Tuesdays. And then on Mondays, we do a meeting on how our uh, sales are going and, and what our plans are for the week to keep things rolling. And then that's when we decide what topic we're going to talk about. So we only give ourselves like a day to think about it. If then. If then. In 2017. Pardon? Cold Garden was 2017. Okay. Oh, well. Yeah, 2016, 2017 is when they kind of started. Well, good for them. They're so popular. We thought they were around for longer. So, so like the, like the, the overall thing was like a bunch of new breweries were starting in Calgary. We didn't really know about them because we were just focused on our own city, but Edmonton started, yeah, having a few of them pop up, like Alley Cat, I'm pretty sure, started up uh, near the the legislation change. That was the thing, is that at that point, you know, on your Friday or Saturday night, you'd be like, hey, there's a new brewery, let's go check it out. Let's see what they're making. It was like every 
one two months there was a new brewery opening like it's like oh have you seen citizen brewery no i haven't seen them okay we'll we'll make a some time after work to go see them or uh red bison which uh, is no longer with us then like legend seven uh, a bunch of the barbecue places started making their own beer and it was just it got to the point where like nowadays there's like 35 to 40 breweries in calgary alone and like physical locations in alberta there's like 120 to 130 breweries like it's it almost every small town has one now almost we're looking at a couple that don't <laughs> if you're a small town and you want a brewery come talk to us yeah and you're in alberta <laughs> alberta's key yeah <laughs> so yeah like yeah definitely like the ones you know are the ones you can actually physically visit like i still remember that tiny tap room of dandies where the production space was about three quarters of their actual lease and then like the tap room was the last quarter of it yeah it was like stand almost standing room only i i, I loved their setup absolutely adored what they did there yeah i yeah. liked it. it was nice and cozy i i think they're a great model for how to progress a uh, physical location mm -hmm. uh, from something that is manageable to now they move to their new location and they're doing I, I hope they're still doing really well i mean this last year has been weird for everybody but so i think a good way to round this out is what what further change to the legislation would be good well i guess that depends on what perspective you want to go by brendan i mean if you're i mean we, we don't we're not we don't have a physical space, so we can't really, it's hard to talk about that, about what would be awesome there, but they definitely have way more freedom in terms of how they're allowed to sell uh, versus contractors like us who are pretty limited. So it'd be nice to see that uh, expand a bit where we'd be allowed to do some online sales and some direct sales. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I also understand why they have that kind of rules there. They're, they're trying to give more space, more breathing room for these people and breweries and companies that have invested in physical locations and equipment whereas versus like a contractor like us who would like have you have almost no investment in equipment actually you have zero investment in equipment <laughs> all you're doing is buying materials but if you had the same ease of access to market then you know what's the incentive to having a your own space no you're right you'd end up with just a, a few facilities set up to contract brew and then a thousand different contract brewers. I would say, like, it's not part of the legislation yet, but it's the online sales. Like, that That became so important during the pandemic, just being able to, because, like, people didn't want to leave their homes and all that. But the fact that a brewery, you know, within a certain radius of wherever they're set up can do online delivery to someone's house, you know, have a whole online storefront sell and, you know, just get the beer to people who want it that's definitely the new norm like it, it'll be part it'll become part of the legislation like i'm pretty sure but that's something that's not going to go away yeah i, I agree I, I can't see that disappearing i definitely see it as being allowable but that doesn't mean everyone will still continue to do it but at least that option will exist yeah because yeah definitely some guys like i'm thinking like outcast brewing and uh you know, <laughs> uh, our friend, the brewer, he's definitely like, it's a one man show. So like he's doing everything and all that. And I bet you once restrictions are lifted, he'll probably stop 
doing that because you know he'll be opening his tap room and trying to sell that way but I, well uh, restrictions are up enough that i you know what i don't even think he's doing deliveries now anymore and it's a husband wife operation Kristen is typically running the tap room while patrick is busy doing all the brewing now i don't know if anyone's heard of this style of beer but he started making slushy beers the stuff sells so fast that he can't even make it fast enough right now yeah so uh, yeah that's a that's once it's uh all restrictions are lifted again we're in the opening phases but yeah i bet you <laughs> he's not going to be uh going back to that model anytime soon no but he always has the option to go back if he needs to well i think i think that'll probably uh close it up there guys unless we have any other final thoughts no uh yeah, yeah, not just, really as always if anyone wants to connect with us uh we're available on email at no problems at solutionsbrewing.com and we're on instagram and facebook our handle is at Solutions Brewing Co. Yeah, I think that's it for this episode. Pretty much. I, I think we made it through the whole episode talking about a lot of different beers, though, and we neglected to do a shameless plug for our own products. So oh, actually, this is, actually right. no, 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 we still have time for that. Well, we can do, we can talk about how we're going to do a little internal competition. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay, so our little internal competition was we decided to take a beer that we are currently selling, which is our delicious Missing Piece Blonde Ale. And since it's summertime, it's a great, easy-drinking drink. And uh, what we're going to do is uh, restrictions are being lifted here, actually, from the time of this podcast in two days, uh, where they're going to allow indoor gatherings. So the three of us will be able to get together to do uh, a brew. And what we're going to do is we're going to brew the wort together, and then we're each going to take sections of that wort, and we're all going to ferment it separately and see what kind of different uh, twists and variations we can put on it gathering restrictions being lifted we'll be able to invite some friends some family and uh, do some taste testing and and uh, see whose comes out on top yeah hack the wart and uh, I think I've got a couple of ideas for the missing piece already well, that's good. I haven't thought of anything yet. <laughs> yeah, I was planning to do it like we do this podcast here and come up with it the day before. But. <laughs> while, while we're brewing it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, stopping at grapes to glass on the way home and being like, oh, yeah, I'll pick up some of this and some of this. Absolutely. So to that end, um, we'll be posting some pictures and keeping people apprised on the progress of our Hack the Wart and encourage everybody to sample the missing piece as they are able to so that they can understand what we're dealing with as we go through this competition. Oh, actually, should we um, should we put like a little wager on this again too? Ooh. Right? What are you thinking? When we have people tasting it and saying which one they like, we will have to keep track of which one they say they like the most. It's not about a winner. It's about not being the loser. Ooh, so, so what does the loser have to do? Right? So, yeah, that's what we what What, what, should, what should the loser have to do? And actually, this will be a good one for our listeners. They should uh, see if you can send us some ideas. Losers doom the scrub and clean the equipment. <laughs> <laughs> or something more inventive. Yeah, so we're open to ideas. I think that would be a good one. It's not about being the yeah. winner. It's about not being the loser. <laughs> All right. And uh, I guess with that, I guess we'll uh, call it an episode. Till next time. Yeah. Third time's the charm. Take That's care. right. Yeah. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. All right. Take care, everyone.